here we go. So why read the Old Testament? Let's see here, I, hey, I'm down in the little corner here. And uh, so before I can really answer that question, uh, I wanna answer the question, why read the Bible at all? So I'm gonna spend about like 10 minutes kind of justifying that claim uh, because I, I think that that would be necessary. <coughs> so uh, a reason why you and I should read and study and listen to the Bible being preached is because the God who made us, uh, the God who loves us fully and knows us completely wrote it so that we could know who he is, so that we could appreciate who he is, that we would know what this life is about, why we exist, uh, the reason that he made us, what he wants from us, and that we would then be able to enjoy him forever. Right, that we would be able to live lives rightly on this earth and then go on into eternity from there. And so that's really the number reason why we should read the Bible. Uh, and I understand maybe you're not with me yet uh, in believing that God did write it. Uh, I might address some of those concerns uh, during the message today, but there will be uh, opportunity. Feel free to ask me questions, uh, comment below, email me. Um, I'd love to be able to answer some of your questions and concerns. But, uh, but here we go. So why, why we need to read the Bible is because God tells us about who he is. That he's not just some ambiguous amoeba that conforms to whatever we each think he's like. He's actually told us what he's like. right? He tells us uh, what he desires, what he wants, and why he does things. And so we can read what he wrote about himself, right? We can respect him enough to believe him when he says this is what he's like. So, okay, let me, let me ask a sub-question. If I already know Jesus, if I already have a relationship with God, I've already been forgiven, why do I still need the Bible? Okay, so that's, that's a little bit of a, a different question. Like if you feel like you already know the purpose of the book, per se, uh, do you still need it? And the answer is also yes, uh, that in order for you or I to be effective in the lives that God has called us to live, uh, we absolutely need the Bible. Here, let me, uh, let me go to a, a verse here, put it up on the screen. We'll be, be giving you a bunch of these here. Here we go. So this says, uh, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Uh, so this is Paul writing to Timothy, who's the pastor of a church. And by Holy Scriptures, right, he's referring to, right, Timothy's been taught the Old Testament. And they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Right, so big idea. The Bible is intended to give each of us wisdom that we would believe in and trust the, the Savior that God provides. Right, that we would trust in Jesus and experience forgiveness of sins and freedom from sin and salvation in him, all right? Now that doesn't answer the question, well, what about if I already know Jesus? Do I still need to read the Bible? Let's keep going. And he says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right, okay? so. All scripture is inspired by God. So we believe that the Bible, just like the authors of the Bible believed it, that is, it's written by people, okay? There's 66 books in the Bible written by 40 different authors, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? There, it's written over 1,400 years, but there's a continual theme throughout, continued revelation about who God is and what his plan is for humanity uh, throughout the Bible, and it's, it's all inspired. It's all useful to teach us what is true. And if, if I'm trying to live my life, it's beneficial if I know true things, right? If I'm informed about what reality is, uh, because then I'll be making wiser choices for my life. I'll be making decisions based on what is actually real and what is meaningful, what is valuable, what is true, right? If I'm living saturated based on false information and wrong data, I'm going to be making poor choices for my life. So one of the things that the Bible is valuable for, even beyond salvation, is that I need to know what's true. 
It also points out in us what's wrong in our lives and corrects us and teaches us to do what is right. And that's even true for those who have trusted Jesus, that we don't simply trust Jesus, experience forgiveness, and then continue in a life of sin. No, we aim to be like him, right? We want to bear fruit. We want to to be like our Lord, that those who have this hope of seeing him purify themselves just as he is pure, says in 1 John chapter 3. All right, so like we want to be like Jesus, and each of us still have this flesh in, right, that we live in, this body that we live in that is at war with the Spirit, working against us, that we can't do the things that we know we ought to do. And so that's why the Bible continues to teach, right, truth to us so that we would know the right thing to do. And the Bible, it says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All right, like, I can't do good works apart from the Bible. I mean, maybe occasionally I'll be successful at doing something that God called me to do. But in order for me to do the things that God has foreordained me to, to live the life that God has called me or you to live out, like we need the Bible to be equipped. Without it, we won't be able to do what he wants us to. Like we, we will live a life that is unsuccessful or less fruitful as a result of being, right, keeping ourselves absent from the word. We need to abide in Jesus and abide in his word. And so when, when this is written, it says all scripture, right? Primarily at this time, that would have been referring to the Old Testament, but not just the Old Testament, because even at the writing of this, right? Paul has previously quoted from the gospel of Luke, referring to it as scripture, right? Or Peter quotes from Paul referring to his writings as scripture. So even in the early church, they even though the New Testament wasn't uh, canonized per se, uh, they still recognized texts that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, that were written down by eyewitnesses of Jesus, right? That were verified claims of what Jesus came and did. And so that when it says all scripture, that's what it means, all scripture, the entire Bible. So an- another thing the Bible tells us is that uh, through the Bible, it says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing is the good news about Christ. Uh, so you might notice today that I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, it's just a very common English translation, easy to understand. Uh, there are better translations of the Bible, so to speak, that are more accurate to the original words of Greek or Hebrew. Uh, but this one tries to communicate the intent and of, of each message. So it's kind of translating a thought uh, or sentence at a time rather than word for word. Uh, So feel free to be studying, obviously, other translations here, but this one, uh, maybe that's why you're not as familiar with this verse, right? But, But the idea is that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes as a result of God's word. Uh, It gives us the ability to, right, hear the truth, and it gives us the ability to live lives by faith, uh, where apart from God's word, I would be living a life uh, absent from the truth, and the truth is the thing that sets us free. And, and so, like, I need the Bible in order to have faith. Faith is simply believing what God says and living a life that is uh, oftentimes contrary to our circumstances or the lives that, right, all of these things that we're, we're experiencing, uh, that, that living by faith results uh, in us setting our minds on things above and living in, in the light of eternity, rather than uh, living based on our temporary uh, experience here on this earth, that it's going to result in me making far better decisions for my life, right? I, I need to live a life by faith. God is pleased when we live by faith, right? It's impossible for him to be pleased with our lives any other way. And so as we expose our hearts to God's word, right, we become more like Jesus. We build our faith that we would live confidently like the Lord, right? Uh, and let's see, this uh, This next idea is a little bit interesting, right? You might say, well, why can't I just go out and, and do good and, and live a good life? Like, why do I really even need the Bible, right? Like, I can't, why, why, do, why, why should I waste my time studying this or going to church or doing all of these things when I could just go out and do good? Seems like an interesting claim. 
here's, here's what this passage says in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Uh, it's not necessarily true about you, okay? But Paul, uh, actually possibly Paul, the author of this letter, um, is correcting an actual group of believers. Okay? And he's saying, like, you guys should be more mature than this by now. He says, instead, you need someone to right, teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. All right, and so he says, for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Okay, so that's interesting. And by what it means by milk was the basic teachings of God's word, and what it means by right uh, solid food in this next part is right going on to maturity and really understanding what God is talking about in His word. Uh, so it says, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And so what's interesting here is that we need the Bible to continue to grow and to learn what's right and wrong. That apart from God's word, if I just try to set out to do right or to do good, I actually will fail to do so because it takes training in order to, to learn to do what is right. right. It's not just like this one-time thing that we excel at our first attempt. No, it takes training, continually exposing our hearts to God's word that we would then learn the right thing to do, right? So the word of God is there to equip us, right? That it's, it's meant to train us. It, it's meant so that we, we don't fall into self-righteous service, right? Where I do a, a small amount of good to others, just enough that I might feel good about myself. No, believers equipped by the word and by one another will do much good, right? That they will go out and, and be equipped for every good work. They will work hard as unto the Lord, right? That we will walk out in the good things that he has foreordained us to do. An interesting thing about this idea of can't I just go out and do good is that the Bible actually tells us it's possible to completely mismatch good and evil. Here's a verse from Isaiah, the Old Testament, that says, What sorrow for those who say, that evil is good, and good is evil. That dark is light, and light is dark. That bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. All right, that we as humans will make that mistake, right? And you might be like, no, no, I don't think so, right? But consider this, that it was, it was right, the original sin. <coughs> when humans, Adam and Eve, attempted to define good and evil on their own terms, rather than to honor God, right? And when we do so, we will fall prey to the temptations of the, the enemy, the destroyer, right? And when Adam and Eve attempted to define good and evil on their own terms, it didn't make their lives flourish. Instead, it brought about death, which is, is what this idea says in, in Proverbs, right? There is a path before each person that seems right, but the end, it ends in death. Right, that it's easy for us as humans to have this false positive of something might feel right or seem right to us, but it might actually be producing death in us. And that apart from God's word, we can, like in Ecclesiastes, spend decades of our lives pursuing things that we think will fulfill us, but will leave us empty. Right, that we'll find out that they won't satisfy us, that that wasn't what life was all about. And so one of the reasons we need to be careful is, right, that we have the tendency to define good the wrong way. One might define good as, as just being that which makes a person happy or define good as being able to do what you want, right? But when Eve was tempted to sin, right, she recognized that the, the fruit was to be desired to make one wise, that it, it was a delight to the eyes, that it was good for food. Right, that she had all of these desires, but just because you desire something doesn't mean that it's good for you. Because we can regularly desire things that will destroy us. Hide pods, right, for instance. So the Bible indicates that there's this war sometimes between our flesh and our spirit. What we know is the right thing to do and what sometimes our flesh desires. We've got to be careful about that. Some might desire uh, define good as being, right, Freedom, right? Just being able to be free. And they might view, uh, right, uh, 
any moral code uh, or old moral uh, schema as something that would limit their freedom. You know, it's like, no, that's not good for me because it's limiting my options. It's making my world smaller. And yet Jesus would say that we are slaves when we obey sin. That it doesn't produce freedom in us. In fact, it, it enslaves us like addiction, right? We become enslaved to that which we obey. And Jesus came to set us free, right? So like I might not be able to define good effectively. Or some might be uh, defining good as just like whatever they might consider or put in the category of love. And I've very quickly got to go through this verse. Right, but oh, maybe I don't have that verse. That's okay. But 2 Timothy 3 talks about the idea that in the end days, people will love only themselves and their money. That they will love pleasure rather than God. All right, that, that it's actually possible to, to love all of these different things, putting idols in place of where only God belongs. And it's actually producing this death. It's, it's, it's not effective. It's not fruit. Another reason why we read the Bible is because it's true. And once again, I realize, like, if you're just joining me today, if you've never read the Bible, you'd be like, well, and you should be skeptical. All right. I wouldn't want you to just randomly believe any book that you pick out of the library. Okay. But nonetheless, this is what it says in Proverbs, that every word of God proves true. Okay. That he is a shield to all who come to him for protection. And like this, this is an authentic experience. All right. There's, there's validated claims within the Bible. Right. The Bible is regularly being validated through history and archaeology and Right, discovery and prophecy and all of these different things are validating the claims of the Bible. And so that's one of the reasons why we believe the Bible. Okay, so what about the Old Testament? All right, if I have the New Testament, why should I read the Old Testament? Right, uh, and one of the reasons is, let's see if I can you know, blank that out, I think, for now. Uh, one of the reasons I might read the Old Testament is because the Old Testament is the prequel, if you will, to the New Testament. Maybe you could guess based on that. Imagine like if you were a huge fan of an author or a movie director, and then you found out later that like their most popular work, the one that you had started with, uh, that there were some less popular books before they made it big, Right, that they had written, that they had produced with the same quality as the one that became popular. Like you'd be thrilled to discover this library of of texts or of movies, right, that were made by the person that you were such a fan of. And, that, and that's gonna be kind of like the Old Testament. All right, that yes, with the New Testament by itself, we are able to appreciate and enjoy and be saved based on what it claims. Yet we can better understand and see God's revelation of salvation by reading the Old Testament, right? Some have said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Here, check out this, this graphic. I had it at the beginning of, of the slide, and I'm gonna hide myself by for a minute. Uh, so here's this graphic, and you might be like, well, I have no idea what's, what's going on in this graphic, Brian. It's just a pretty rainbow. I agree. All right, let me explain. So down at the bottom, uh, each of those line segments that are in white, uh, they represent uh, the length of a chapter in the Bible. And they alternate. Notice there's a batch of them on the left that's dark gray, and then there's a batch that is white, and then dark gray, and then white. Each of those batches represent chapters of the Bible that are in a book. So the furthest left is Genesis, okay? And then we have uh, the ones just on kind of the last 25% or so are the New Testament. Okay, all right, nothing, nothing crazy so far. Now, every arch that you see, every semicircle that you see represents a cross-reference or a quotation of the Old Testament, all right, or another book of the Bible. Okay, so that's, that's what we end up seeing here is, is all of these cross-references uh, to other parts of the Bible. And notice that the New Testament is regularly pulling from the Old Testament. 
right? The largest arcs that go all the way to Genesis, right? They're pulling from Genesis, all of them pulling from Deuteronomy or Psalms, right? They're pulling from the Old Testament. That if I read and study the New Testament, in order to better understand it, I need to be familiar with the Old Testament. Here, check, check out this graphic, okay? Uh, here is the percent of Old Testament references in the books of the New Testament. And so overall, there's roughly 33%. 33% of the New Testament is a quotation to, a reference to the Old Testament. And so if for some reason you were like uh, some person that wanted to avoid reading the Old Testament, uh, you would have to find a way to cut 33% of your New Testament out. Uh, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? Like the New Testament is saturated with the Old Testament. It's based on the teachings of the Old Testament, right? It's, it's full of the culture and people of the Old Testament. Okay, like, that's one of the reasons why I should read the New Testament if I'm already reading and studying the New Testament. Check out this verse from Paul. This is what he says in Romans regarding the Old Testament, okay? So he says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Okay, that the Old Testament wasn't written just for the people of that time period. It's written for you and I, right? It's written so that we could learn from it, right? That it would teach us the truth, right? That we would be able to have hope and encouragement that as we see God's consistent faithfulness throughout the Old Testament. Right, that we would know that he's faithful and true to keep his promises. That all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Right, that we can place our hope in these things. Okay, like the Old Testament is written for our benefit. Another reason why we should read the Old Testament is there's this theological concept called the law of first mention or the principle of first mention. And it's, it's not like there aren't sometimes exceptions to the rule. But this is the idea, okay, is that the first time a concept or theme is mentioned in the Bible, it kind of defines and builds the foundation of that concept, and then the rest of the times it's mentioned in the Bible, it is like building upon that truth, okay? And so, so here's a quote uh, about the book of Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Naturally, it contains many first mentions, including the foundations of these doctrines and con concepts. So, like divine omnipotence, omnipotence, creation, paradise, marriage, family, sin, sacrifice, atonement, angels, prayer, judgment, covenant, government, death, burial, and even promises of God's coming Messiah are found in the Old Testament, right? And that's just the book of Genesis. And so in order to understand what the New Testament is talking about sometimes, I need to kind of be familiarized or allow myself to begin to study what these things are about, right? What these verses are about. Let's look at, at Jesus specifically in his earthly ministry. Let's see if I can get this verse. So, so Jesus, when he would be asked, right, the biggest questions of culture in his day, right, the, these issues about life, how should I live? How do I know right and wrong, right? When he would be asked the controversial thing, he didn't just throw his opinion into the mix of controversy and just be like, I don't know, that's my opinion. That's not what he did. Let's, let's see what he did here in Matthew chapter 19. It says, some Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of his day that didn't believe in Jesus, uh, came and tried to trap him with this question. They said, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And so let's find out what Jesus says. Notice what he says. Haven't you read the scriptures? Right? Jesus' basis for truth, right? It's as if he's asking, is like, why, why are you asking me this? Why haven't, you, why haven't you read what the Bible already tells you? Why haven't you read what the Old Testament already proclaims as true? It's, it, he's suggesting, like, isn't the answer to that question, like, and where that question can be found, isn't it obvious? Like, how... Haven't you read the scriptures, which at that time would have only been referring to the Old Testament? And so Jesus felt as though the answer to the biggest questions about our culture, about our lives, 
right, about life, about who we are, those answers are found in the Old Testament. And so we could live our lives kind of being like, God, why do you allow this? Why is this going on in my life? Why is this happening? And God might be like, I kind of like wrote down the answers to those questions. Yes, I want to fellowship with you and you have my Holy Spirit He'll lead you in all truth. The primary way he's going to do that is through the Bible. Right? And in this case, Jesus rooted his theology, his teaching in, in the Old Testament. And so, yeah, so Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, right? He's basing his theology, he's basing his answer on why did God make us? Right? Why do we exist? Right? From the beginning, God made them uh, male and female. And he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, right, one flesh, the Bible says. Okay? Like he's saying, like, the, the book that I wrote explains why these things are true. <clears throat> he says, since they are no longer two but one, let no man split apart what God has joined together. And then they ask a follow-up question. Then why did Moses in the law uh, say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. And Jesus replied, here we go, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not that God, not what God had originally intended. <coughs> and, then, and then he says, right, and I tell you this, I guess I'll show you the next verse and come back. <clears throat> and I tell you this, that whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And so notice another thing that Jesus does. He answers the biggest questions about life from the basis of the Old Testament, from the basis of the scriptures. But then he also explains the scriptures to us, which this is a really cool experience, right? He says, actually, let me tell you what God intended. Let me tell you about God's original design, what God wanted for humanity when he made marriage, right? He, he's basically telling us, like, he highlights that you and I should not merely aim for what is tolerable, uh, but we should aim for what God intended for us, right? So Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, and he expounds on the Old Testament, telling us even what God's intent was for us. Or, or here's a verse, Matthew uh, chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, here's one example of when Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament and some of the traditions and laws of the rabbis in it. And so this is what he says. He says, you have heard. Okay? Well, how have we heard this? Because we've been reading the Old Testament, reading the Bible. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, right? So Jesus is, is bringing further clarity to what the Old Testament is about that anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so, so one of the things that we see here is that we should be cautioned that if we read the Old Testament apart from Jesus, it's possible we could walk away with potential misinterpretation, right? When, when you read a, a verse about like, don't commit adultery, don't commit murder, you might be like, all right, I guess I'm all set. I made, I made it, like I'm good. Uh, but you might also then read some of these commands and realize like, wait a minute, oh no, I'm like far from that. But everyone's really far from reaching that, so surely that can't be what God means, and then you might try to lower the bar of what God expected to try to make yourself and others feel more comfortable. But if we read it with Jesus' emphasis, we'll have the right interpretation of what the Bible is saying, right? That if we read the Old Testament aware of the revealed Savior, then we begin to get it, right? That you and I, apart from Jesus, we could never keep this law perfectly. You and I sin by nature and desire, right? That you and I fail all the time. And it, the, the Old Testament, these laws point out and diagnose our need for a savior, right? And so, so if I was reading just the Old Testament, I gotta be a little bit careful, a little bit cautious that I'm reading it with Jesus's emphasis. And uh, another reason why we should read the Old Testament is that Jesus loved the Bible, right? Jesus loved the Bible. Check this out from Matthew 5 as well. He says, don't misunderstand, right? Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, right? I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. 
right? Other translations say that he came to fulfill them, okay? And he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And then he, he continues, right? He says, so if you ignore, right? We shouldn't ignore the Old Testament. If you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus, with his relation to the Old Testament, he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. He completes what the law exposes as a need, right? He, he does what the law could not do. I'll justify that claim a little bit later, right? He, and once he does what the law could not do, we should no longer seek for the law to do those things, okay? All right, the, the law is, is still valuable in our understanding of who God is, what he's like, right, and what he desires. And I will let you know, and I realize with the possible irony, with this verse still being on the screen, is that there are parts of the law that no longer apply to us. It might be shocking to you, okay, but I'll justify that in a little bit. Hang with me, all right? Right, there are parts of the law that no longer apply to us, but all of it is still helpful for teaching us. Okay, some of it is no longer, uh, need, no longer needs to be obeyed by us. I'll justify that. But all of it helps us understand better who God is and what his plan for salvation is for us. Okay, so I'm intentionally saying that with this verse on the screen because you might be like, Brian, it kind of, are, you, are you ignoring a commandment? Hang with me, hang with me. Okay, uh, so let, let's look at one more thing about Jesus here. Uh, so uh, Jesus also emphasizes what really matters in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, this, is, this is an interesting passage. He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, okay? Because these are the people that rejected Jesus and held on to their own self-righteousness, rather recognizing that they were, right, unholy and needed a Savior. He says, For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, right? That in order to keep the law, they, like if they have an increase in their herbs growing in their garden, they're like, okay, 10% goes to the temple, right? Like they're super careful about these really small details. So he says, you are careful to do this, right? But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important thing. All right, and then afterwards he actually says, blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. All right, so this is kind of an amusing way that Jesus is telling a joke. So the issue is that many have read the Old Testament, and they may perhaps think that all sin is the same. And partly they're correct. All sin separates us from God. But not all sin experiences the same consequences, right? Or, or not all of these issues are of the utmost importance. They're not equally important to the heart of God, okay? Uh, you and I may emphasize things that we think are important when we read the Bible, but we risk, like generations of rabbis and scribes and Pharisees, we risk reading the Old Testament and emphasizing the wrong things, right? That was Jesus' correction. And Jesus identifies the fact that there are things that he, the author, considers as the most important, right? And so we need to pay attention, like, okay, there are things that are more important, right, in the Old Testament, that when I read the Old Testament, I need to think about these weightier matters of the law, that I don't get so caught up about these little details, some of which you, are, you and I are no longer accountable to, right? We need to read it in light of what Jesus' emphasis is. An interesting thing about Jesus is when he taught, uh, it says that the crowds were amazed at his teachings, right? For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the other, their teachers of the religious law, right? The reason that Jesus taught from the Old Testament with such authority is because he's the author, right? Of, right, he, Jesus, the son, right? Right, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, member of the triune God, 
right? Like he is the author of the Old Testament. So like, instead of like having our own interpretation of what it meant, Jesus can just be like, oh, oh, let me tell you what that meant. Uh, sure, like I'd love to tell you what this meant, right? And so Jesus spoke with such authority about the Bible, okay? And he had the right to do so. Uh, one of the things when it comes to reading the Old Testament uh, that we need to be careful of, and I'm gonna have some caution for us today, Yes, we need to be studying and reading the Old Testament. We also need to be careful. Because like we've already seen, we could walk away with the wrong emphasis. But not only that, Jesus tells us that it's possible that you and I or others could miss the entire point of the whole Old Testament. He says this to some religious leaders. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. So, so what he is indicating is that the intent of the entire Old Testament is to point to Jesus, right? It diagnoses your and my need for a savior. It tells us of the coming of this Messiah and it tells us of God's plan for salvation. That means when you or I read the Old Testament, we need to be reading it all of the time looking for it's pointing towards Jesus, right? That all of it is being communicated with that intent, that we should, be, we should not be scouring it for alternative, to solution, alternative solutions to Jesus, right? We shouldn't be thinking that law keeping could make us right with God, right? Or give us the life that we desire because only, only Jesus can provide that life. So some quick other things about the Old Testament here. Uh, regarding its value, right? The Old Testament is tremendously valuable in teaching us things about God, ourselves, in this world, right? Because God's character remains the same okay, throughout the Bible, right? That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So, so as we see the way God acts or cares about things in the Old Testament, he's, he's the same character today. All right, I'll, we'll be looking at next week and, and heading towards Easter, we'll be looking at the Passover story. And we'll be seeing some like really unsettling perhaps for some things that God does. And, and I'll justify those when we get there. We'll talk about those when we get there. But I want to point out that the Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God. He's one and the same. All right, the, the, the Old Testament uh, has the op option, uh, uh, opportunity where we can find wisdom. Right? As we read Job or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. In the Old Testament, we can read the Psalms and see how we as humans should worship God. Right? How through, regardless of what emotion we're experiencing through grief or anger or sorrow or joy, that we can worship God with our whole hearts in the midst of all human experience. Right? The Old Testament, I've said this a few times, but it's a big deal. It's it makes us understand our need for a savior. That the historical parts of the Old Testament examine generations of humans that are attempting at times to do the right thing and succeed occasionally, but will always have failures in their life where they are, they are human like you and I, that they, they don't succeed to live righteous before God, that they, they have flaws, right? And, and so the Old Testament is this case study of why you and I need to be forgiven. Right? The Old Testament gives us glimpses of God's future plans. Right? It, it showed us what salvation would be like. It shows us that there's this day of judgment coming, that there's this day of, of recreation coming, where God will finally bring the world back to what his original design was. Right? That, that we see that the language and culture of the New Testament is saturated with the Old Testament. All right? that, that in the Old Testament, when we read it, uh, we should pay attention because sometimes God will give us glimpses as to why he cares about something or why he does something, right? And it's just like this really, really cool experience. Okay, so I think I've justified why we should read the Old Testament. And, and like Jesus bringing up some of these concerns, I want to give us some caution. Okay, and you might think like that's kind of weird. Like why would you need to caution us about reading the Bible, okay? It, but here we go, all right? I, I wouldn't recommend starting reading the Bible in only the Old Testament, 
Okay, like, like if you want to start in the Old Testament, then simultaneously be reading the New Testament. Because you'll see that the New Testament gives us this fuller image of who God is, this higher resolution, better detail of who God is in Jesus. Okay, that the Old Testament, I might be kind of focusing on a blurry, shadowy image that I'm like, okay, I think that's what God wants me to do. And, and maybe there's clarity in the New Testament that you're missing. Okay, so you've got to be careful about that. All right, uh, here, here's a, a verse where I, I'll justify it. Hebrews chapter one. <clears throat> so it says, long ago, right, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, right? Through the Bible, through the Old Testament. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance and through the son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his. And so what I want to point out is that previously, God spoke to us through his prophets, right? Through his word. But now we have the pleasure, the joy of seeing him as he is, his character, his image perfectly uh, expressed in Jesus. Okay, so like Jesus is the one who we should be looking towards as being the one who tells us what God is like. All right, so the Old Testament does that in some capacity, but Jesus does it fully. Okay, consider, consider this. Consider like if you're, you're married to someone and you, you know them, right? You, you have your spouse, you can talk to your spouse. Uh, you know who they are and what they like and what they are like. But then imagine like if you're going through your basement or your attic and you find a box and it's full of like your spouse's old drawings or letters or journals from when they were like a kid. And, and right, like you, you start like reading and you discover all of these incredible things about why they are like they are now. Maybe in a letter they, they detailed some difficulty that they faced, which explains why they're passionate about something they are, why they're... Uh, kind and caring, right? Like it might communicate to you why they are that way, right? And, and so surely, right, we, we have more in our spouse than I would in their letters or their, okay? But it gives me a greater appreciation for who they are as a person, okay? Uh, it would allow me to know them better. <coughs> and, th and that's kind of like what the Old Testament does for us. Like if you've only examined the New Testament, the Old Testament will give you so much more detail about who God is and what he's like and how he loves us. And at the same time, right, we wouldn't then ignore and neglect our spouse so that we could then spend time only with their drawings and letters, right? That would be really weird uh, because you have so much more in your spouse now. So, so when you and I go to the Old Testament, we've got to be careful not to go to it for things that it cannot do or cannot give us. Uh, here we go. This is Romans chapter 8. I realize I've been going for a while. Hang with me. Got a little while, a little while more, handful of verses. Uh, feel free to ask questions, right? Follow up. I'd love to, to connect with you. But here it goes. So this is Paul writing. He says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Okay. So God did what the law could not do. All right. I just want to point out, there are things that the Old Testament could never do for you that God is able to do through uh, Jesus. Okay, so when, when you read the Old Testament, you've got to be careful not that you start idolizing that law, thinking that is the thing that is going to give you life. Okay, because it, it can't do that. All right, it says that he sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declare an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law, right? he didn't get rid of the law, he fulfilled the law, that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us right, in Jesus, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Okay, so, so when we read the Old Testament, we've got to make sure that we're not trying to get it to do something that it can't do, right? That, that God did what the law could not do. All right, similarly, 
Uh, here's from Colossians. So he's talking about, uh, oh, here we go. Colossians 2.16. He says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. So he's talking about uh, two Christians, right? Don't let other believers uh, condemn you or judge you if you're not practicing the diet of the Old Testament, not practicing feasts of the Old Testament, right? That you're not doing these things, okay? So, so it seems as though, and you can investigate on your own, that, right, we don't have to do these things because we have Christ. And this is, this is what he says next. For these rules are only shadows, only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality, right? Other translations of the Bible say that Christ is the substance, well, as those things were a shadow, right? Those things were meant to point towards Jesus. But now we have like the complete substance in Jesus, right? Like back to the analogy of you having a spouse, right? Like I hope that you don't cuddle with your spouse's shadow, right? Like that, that'd be kind of weird, okay? Because you have your spouse now, right? You have the substance of who they are that you can embrace them and bring them close, right? And, and that's how Christ is to us compared to some of these Old Testament traditions that we are no longer held to, okay? So, so we are, are free from some of those things. We don't have to do those things anymore. Uh, similarly, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8, it says, but now Jesus, our high priest, he's contrasting them to uh, Jesus to the priest, the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament. Okay, he says, our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. All right, so like we shouldn't go to the Old Testament like trying to keep a covenant that isn't for us anymore. All right, it says this, that if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Right, so Jesus fulfills the old covenant, right? And, and in, in him, we now, right, experience even more of God. We have better promises to rely on. Further down, he says, when God speaks of a new covenant, this is an interesting verse. Read it in other translations, okay? When God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Okay, that in terms of the capacity for that covenant to be effective, in, in terms of the capacity of those old laws to bring life to us, right? It's no longer able to do that. Some things it was never able to do. Okay, so, so we've got to recognize the old covenant, right? Uh, the Old Testament, the scriptures, right? Jesus didn't abolish them. He fulfilled them, okay? And that Right? There's still a purpose and value to them because it communicates the heart of God. It communicates what, right, our need for a savior. It does all of these things. They were shadows that were pointing to completion and fulfillment in Jesus that we no longer need to sacrifice animals, which never could cover our sin anyway. Because we have Jesus, this one and complete sacrifice. In Hebrews 10, it says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came. Under the, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Right. So when I read those parts of the Old Testament, I've got to recognize, like, okay, I don't need to do these things anymore. Right? I don't need to go to a priest. I don't need to offer sacrifices. He says, but our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right. Okay, so, so we see that there's this completion that we have in Jesus, that he right, did this once and for all. Right, further down it says, There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Right, so that Jesus does this for you and me. He made a sacrifice once that he is our high priest. 
right? That he gives us a new covenant with better promises than the old one ever had, right? That the old one is obsolete for us, but still has value in, in pointing to and giving us an understanding of who Jesus is and, and what this whole idea of sacrifice was about to begin with. In terms of, of the Old Testament, uh, we also need to be careful all right, like not only should we not be making sacrifices anymore, but there are parts of that law that, that you and I as believers are forbidden from keeping. Right? It's kind of weird, I agree. All right. This is Paul saying in Galatians. He says, Okay, listen, I Paul tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Right? Like if I go to the Old Testament and think somehow that like being circumcised is going to keep someone's heart right before God, that that's going to make them right and holy before God, like then I've actually nullified the effectiveness of Jesus. Okay? Uh, take some time uh, to investigate Acts chapter 15 and read it for yourself. When the church and the Holy Spirit uh, are figuring out, like the Holy Spirit knew the whole time, but it says that the Holy Spirit agreed with the conclusion where the church is trying to figure out, okay, all of these non-Jewish people are coming to salvation. Do they need to become Jews? Right? Do they need to be circumcised? Right? Do they need to keep the Old Testament law? And you can go investigate that for yourself or go right, look up one of our Valley Town Church sermons on our YouTube page uh, or check out our podcast as well. I've done some sermons on that, on that passage, right? But, but we don't need to do that anymore. Right, the Holy Spirit's made it clear that we don't need to do that. And if I do, right, Paul's saying, I'll say it again, if you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, then you've got to obey. You must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Okay? He says, for if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. And so here's a, a massive caution from Paul when it comes to reading and studying and appreciating the Old Testament, which he himself has memorized, would have memorized large portions of, saying, like, listen, like, don't look to that to fulfill you, right? Don't look to that to make you right with God because it cannot ever do that for you, right? That, that, in fact, it would result in Christ being made worthless. And so, so there are parts of the Old Testament that are, right, a little bit uh, null and void, I guess, for us now. And, and so let me ask this quick question of, well, what good are those laws when they don't apply to us anymore? And let me show you one example of an interpretation from the New Testament. Uh, Paul, uh, talking about um, uh, church elders, he says, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. I'm not asking that right. But this is, notice what he does. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. And so the first verse that he quotes from is from Deuteronomy. It's from the Old Testament. But it was about a law regarding how I should treat my ox when I'm working in the field, which not many of us are doing that anymore, right? Uh, and so that law also doesn't apply to us, right? We the righteous person cares for the life of their animal, okay? But nonetheless, right, this law doesn't apply to us. But notice what Paul does with laws like this is he takes a principle from them and, and gives us an understanding of how we should treat, right, other people. Uh, so, so that's one of the ways that Paul uses a law like that in the Old Testament, which is interesting. So you and I can still go to those and, and read those passages. And even though you and I, right, have liberty in many of these things, Right, but we can still see principles at play. Okay, so uh, what if maybe you've only read the Old Testament? Right, maybe you come from a Jewish background, or maybe that's just where you started. You just wanted to read the Old Testament. Uh, like, should you stop there? Uh, let, let, me, let me suggest this. The, the Old Testament, what it ends up doing it communicates all this incredible wisdom and explanation of who we are and why we are who God is. But it also poses this great problem, this problem of human sin. And then it offers the promise of a solution where hundreds of times it foretells this coming Savior, this Messiah, who's going to deal with that problem once and for all. 
and then the, the Old Testament ends. And if all you had was the Old Testament, that promise is then never fulfilled. It's like this massive cliffhanger. And so if you were someone uh, that right, was studying the Old Testament and you read it and, and looked at it, it would tell you of God's plan for this coming Messiah, that he would send this suffering servant, and then you'd be left like, well, what happened? <laughs> right? Like, you then would be eagerly looking for or awaiting this coming Messiah. Let me read this, this last passage uh, from Isaiah 53, Old Testament, speaking of God's Messiah. Right? It says, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Right? But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. In the Old Testament, we have this incredible hope of this coming Messiah. That if all you've read was the Old I want to suggest that this suffering servant has already come. That Jesus, in his life, in his earthly ministry, fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Over 300. So, like, if you've read and studied the Old Testament, I would encourage you, I'd beg you, at least investigate who Jesus is. Because you, you should be eagerly looking for the Messiah. And when someone starts fulfilling that many of these Old Testament prophecies of God's plan to bring salvation to the world, right, to be a light to the world, to invite the Gentiles, right, into his family, right, you've got to investigate. And if you're someone who maybe has never read the Bible, you don't have a value or appreciation that maybe you don't think that it's true, maybe you don't think it's God's word, I encourage you to look into these texts. Right, these 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,400 years. Because what's interesting, what makes it intriguing compared to any other text in all of history, is that it's saturated with predictions of events written down before they happened, right, during that 1,400-year period. Written down before. We have documented evidence. Archaeology is verified. These things were written down before they happened and then were later fulfilled in history. And God claims that he is the only one who knows the end from the beginning. And so when it seems as though you have this book, that it has the ability to do that over and over and over, it makes you wonder who the author of that book is. And I want to let you know that every word of God proves true. So let me pray with you this morning. Uh, as we all seek uh, God, right, as we pursue who he is, as we choose to not go astray like that passage was, as we choose to recognize that we can't keep the law in our own ability, that we cannot be made right with God by trying to do enough good, but it's by trusting in the Savior he provided, trusting in the sacrifice for our sins that you and I could experience forgiveness, that you and I could be made brand new as a result of what Jesus did for us, that we unholy people can, can obtain and experience the righteousness of God in Christ. It's through him that he fulfilled the whole Old Testament. He shows us and gives us a better covenant on better promises in the New Testament. And you and I can experience this life that Jesus is the only one who gives and teaches the words of truth and life. It will completely change you forever and result in you being fruitful, living according to the truth, walking by faith that you would be equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we hear your word this morning, that our hearts would not become hard that we would open our hearts to what you're saying, the things that your word has to correct in us, that it would do so. That, Lord, we would desire to know more of who you are and what you're like. That we would have a craving for your word, that we would rejoice and worship you for the amazing salvation that you have offered and given. 
that, Lord, that we would be able to rejoice with all those who have placed their hope and trust in you, that have read your book and discovered that it points towards you, your Savior, Jesus, that we would experience this life. I pray that those who have not yet placed their trust in Jesus, that Holy Spirit, that you would lead them to truth, that they would continue to ask, seek, and knock, and that you would reveal yourself to them. Pray, God, that we believers who have already followed you, that we would begin to study not just your words in the New Testament, but also the Old. We would discover this rich history that we are a part of, that we could see your purpose and plan for the earth and for all humanity, that we would have an appreciation for this grand plan of salvation that was written before the foundations of the earth were. We pray this in Jesus' name.